Today, have we got a show for you, the politics of Marvel Comics and how it paid off huge for them. Marvel made the politics of the day pay off in in the most spectacular fashion for them in the mid-70s amidst the giant Watergate scandal when Captain America actually stopped being Captain America. Steve Rogers became a new hero for my generation, the origin of Nomad. How it all began with with an exceptional writer who wanted Cap to reflect all of the scandal and the politics of the day. And he did it in the most amazing fashion as Cap embraced politics, sales soared, and and the character became more relevant than ever, saving itself, the comic, from cancellation from a lower bi-monthly status. It's a great story. I share it all with you today. Also, Boba Fett, all seven episodes have aired. It's over. It closed. The book of Boba Fett, this first chapter has finished. I loved it. And I will tell you all about why I loved it, what I'm looking forward to, and why I think the Star Wars shows are some of the biggest, most exciting shows uh, available on any platform at this time. All of that and so much more on today's Observations. And here we go. We are off with another episode of Rob's Observations. I am Rob Liefeld, your host. Uh, these are my Rob's Observations. And I, I just got to tell you, really appreciate this time that we get to spend each, with each other each and every week. Whenever we boot up, whenever you, uh, you know, find this and listen to it and, uh, you know, Literally, yeah, just give me your ear for how long ever each episode lasts. I appreciate it so much. It always means a great deal to me to uh, read your guys' comments and to hear uh, what you guys have to say. And uh, it's it's just been an absolute pleasure. Comics, as you know, are my number one passion after my family. They are, uh, I think, you know, pretty obvious. I'm I'm consumed and obsessed with comic books, comic book culture, the history of comic books. I was fortunate enough again, to really come along in the, in the, in, in comic books around, you know, for, for Marvel comics, which was represents so many of my favorite comics. And please don't discount that. I, I really do love DC comics. The DC comics of my youth is up there with the strongest Marvel comics ever produced. They, they rallied and uh, stood toe to toe with Marvel comics in the bronze era of comics, which is widely believed between, between 1972, 1986. And, uh, that, that represents almost my entire youth. So, again, uh, Marvel has just been more consistent my entire life. Prior to, like, 1980, I, I DC Comics, I participated in. I bought them, but it really was the seismic shift of George Perez and Marv Wolfman going over there and George doing the Justice League and the Titans, and you know, uh, which, which then really kind of showed everybody that you could cross the street to D.C. and make a giant name for yourself. Frank Miller followed, John Byrne followed. We all know those giant moves with Superman and Batman and how they move, they, 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 uh, they panned out. But prior to that, the, the 1974 to 1980 period, I mean, Marvel was my lifeblood, my, my life you know, source. So if, I, if we track it, 
I was I was in on Marvel around their eleventh year of publication. So I, I you know the Silver Age had completely missed me, and I came in right at the beginning of what would be known as this Bronze Age of comics, which of course is my favorite era of comics for all manner of reasons. I've discussed here often, often times I have shared with you guys how much what you have seen, you the consumer who may have never participated in comics, but you've listened to this uh, because you heard I'm a comic book guy or it was re- recommended to you. And, and I, I always appreciate when I see you guys either make videos, TikToks, uh, you know, in uh, videos on Instagram and you, and you say that this was recommended to you and you, and, and you really enjoyed it. Maybe you only came to Marvel through the movies like my sons did. And, uh, so much of what you've seen is, is mired in this is in my youth because again, the people who made them grew up at that same era. They've pivoted sometimes towards more, more recent events. Certainly when you read about something like secret invasion coming to Disney plus, uh, you know, and, and, and again, like, like secret invasion will in no way, shape or form. It cannot possibly reflect on any level, the grandeur of, uh, of the Secret Invasion comic book. The Secret Invasion comic book really felt like it was born of, by the way, little offshoot here on Secret Invasion. The comic book seemed to be born of a competition between uh, Brian Bendis and Mark Miller, who uh, I think Bendis, and, and Mark would tell you this, Bendis was kind of the uh, the favored child in the same way that Todd and I would tell you that Jim Lee was the favored child of our era and Marvel favored him, gave him, uh, tons of work, tried to position him. He lived in the United States where Marvel published, uh, whereas Mark Miller would fly in from, from Scotland. And, uh, but civil war had come out and really rocked, just rocked the comic book industry. And, uh, prior to that was house of M and house of M was a, it was a base hit. Wasn't a home run. If a home run is civil war, then, then there's no way House of M was a was a home run. It was some solid base hits. Civil War excited people, turned everybody on their, you know, upside upside down and on their ass. I mean, they just absolutely loved the big conflict. Who's on Captain America's side? Who's on Iron Man's side? We love we love when our favorite heroes fight. And and the great thing, so I can even tell you there, because I've gone out of my way to buy original art from the origins of this friction. I always mention Jim Shooter. I always mention the Avengers. In his run, Cap and Iron Man came to blows one time. And again, you've got Cap as powerfully as he is. He he does not measure up to, he's not on the same power level as a fully juiced Iron Man who was fully juiced in his armor uh, in the Avengers mansion when they had a disagreement and Cap punches him in his armor. They had been... Uh, having some disagreements throughout the issues leading up to this, but it was a big blow up where Cap felt that Iron Man was not leading the Avengers effectively and had no problem telling him. And uh, it put a real friction between their relationship and the pages of the Avengers to the kids of my youth who were like, man, do they even like each other? And, and, and Cap would be off, you know, blowing off steam uh, in, in the Avengers training room with Beast telling him how disturbed he is by Tony's behavior and Tony telling, you know, Scarlet Witch or Moondragon or whomever, like how how he's concerned with, you know, Cap, uh, Iron Man's 
uh, you know, Cap's lack of faith in him. And that's the first time, you know, that I had seen the two of them at, at odds where they're angrily yelling at each other and the rest of the Avengers team doesn't know how to react. So when Civil War comes out, literally 23, 20, I mean, almost, almost 30 years after the fact, because the events that I'm telling you about, I read in the Marvel comics in 1977 and 1978. So, you know, we're not talking 1997, that'd be 20 years. We're talking 2005. So, I mean, 18 years later, 18, 19 years later, we got this where they've totally drawn, you know, lines in the sand opposite each other. And we all know that the movie uh, had to take a much smaller view of their conflict, which involved in the comic books a much larger portion of the Marvel Universe. Um, With the exception of the X-Men, it really involved everybody. Secret Invasion, two years later, because World War Hulk came the next summer, then Secret Invasion, it felt like Bendis and editorial and everybody was like, we now have to compete with what Mark established because it's a new bar. It's higher. And if House of M is your favorite thing anywhere, great. Let, let it be your favorite thing anywhere. My opinion of it and my memory of it was it did not catch people up in the same way on any level. But Secret Invasion now was a next level. That Secret Invasion was another home run. But it involved some of your biggest, brightest, most powerful, most recognizable Marvel heroes and a mystery about where they've been, that, that, that the real versions of them have been sequestered have been actually in captivity among an alien race while so many of them, the phonies, have been running around. So there's no way the secret invasion can invade, literally can in, in involve, you know, Iron Man as we knew him, Thor as we knew him, Captain Marvel as we knew her, Spider-Man. Some big, big names in this stuff. So the secret invasion show is going to be more spy, stealth-like, okay? And, uh, and it's going to operate on a much smaller scale. It's borrowing the name from this huge series, which did involve S.H.I.E.L.D. agents trying to sniff out who, you know, who, who's actually a scroll and who's not. And of course, they already planted those seeds in the big Captain Marvel series. But the deal is that there's no way that the show can come and give you the, uh, the breadth of what the Secret Invasion crossover gave you. It was it was a real step up to the plate, kind of born of some competition. And Marvel, I'm sure, wanted to make sure that they got sales on par with what was going on in Civil War. And even then, some of the characters that are, you know, thought to believe to have been sequestered, imprisoned uh, with the scrolls went back to the, wait for it, the Bronze Age. Again, the era that I grew up in. And uh, Marvel was just so, it was just so resonant with me as, as a kid. And, they, and it was really powerful. And so I am truly obsessed. And so I, I love watching and, 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 uh, and being able to dial back and connect the dots and look at the bigger picture and look at the competition and look at who steps into what role. And again, we haven't even ever truly covered how, because Marvel did not have the giant media access, all media access to the X-Men, that they dialed down the X-Men's popularity in the 2000s and then sought to raise the Avengers uh, profile in order to plant the seeds for what would eventually become their 
total media focus on the Avengers. And I mean, look, it worked. It worked out for him, 100%. It, you, you couldn't think of a better, uh, you know, result for them than when 2012's Avengers made, you know, $2 billion. That was insane. No one saw that coming again, like we've, we've covered many times. You could take the grosses, which everyone in the business did. Okay, so Iron Man, they, they averaged $300 million and Thor did 150 and Captain 150. So I guess I guess Avengers maybe four four fifty four four fifty five hundred max. Not not a billion. Holy crap! Like not two billion. So my love of comics, uh, really, I, I was able to get in on the on the ground floor of like the Bronze Age of comic books and and watch Marvel just um you know express its dominance over over decades and uh you know that, that, that again during that period dc comics came strong and and now we're living in a world where we, where we see these two giant entities go at it and and i'll always be of you know when my kid calls me after watching secret invasion i'll be like you should read the comic it's better i'm always of the the comic is better no matter what happens no matter how cool the movie is the comic is better and uh, for the adaptations, I really, I really do believe that. So, in a year that saw us get WandaVision, Winter Soldier, Falcon, uh, Loki, What If, Hawkeye, did I get all those right? Five Marvel series, and we kind of got to understand exactly how that's going to play out. I, I really thought with WandaVision. It was going to be bigger. It promised something bigger. By that fourth or fifth episode where the scale, the entire story was revealed, I thought, wow, these series are going to take us even further than the movies. But they didn't. They they, they ended up, like to me, the finale, WandaVision, the final episode to me, did not stick the landing. And WandaVision remains the only media, anything uh, that has happened while I've been doing this show that I added an extra show the day of. I did a tag-on episode and I cleared it with everybody on my team. Could you be able to handle it if I see this and I go up, you know, after episode six and in the, in the events of episode six, can I do an add-on and address it the day of? Because I never had. So, I mean, I was psyched. I was really hyped up. But but as we've seen, these don't land in the same way. Uh, the, the movies still are bigger with the exception, of course, of... And, and here's where we pivot, just like when uh, they're trying to get that mattress up the stairs on Friends and David Schwimmer or Ross says, pivot, pivot. Great episode. Saw it in real time. Super funny. Um, again, like, and then like a couple of years back, my daughter watched every single episode like twice and she became a giant Friends fan. And it's weird when you get to be like, oh, so what I watched in my 20s, you're now totally a giant fan of in your 14s, because that's how old she was. Crazy, crazy times. This brings me to Boba Fett. I am Boba Fett. You guys all heard him say it repeatedly again and again and again. Uh, this was a show, as I'm broadcasting to you today, this episode, the finale has been shown. It's aired. If you want to turn off now because you haven't seen it, you should do that. I don't want to spoil it for you. And so I'll give you um, another little extended amount of time for you to jump off, because again, I really don't want to spoil Boba Fett for you. As as I've talked, a lot of these shows now with the um, with the spoiler, uh, you know, culture that we have. And let's be honest; these people are 
they're dicks. Like Facebook has more dicks than Twitter and Twitter has a ton of dicks. And these people just want to, oh, they want to comment on the most polarizing element, put it on their thing. I, I assume to get reaction because that's, that's how sad they are, that that's what they need. Um, and it is, it's truly sad. Like, like really, that's what you need. You need to, to, to spoil a show for everybody to get some attention on your, on your page, some interaction. Cause it's just lame, but it's become so reckless. You can't really, uh, avoid it. My big reaction to Boba Fett online today was I loved it. Just like every episode, almost the entire run of Boba Fett. I loved it. You guys know my absolute obsession with Boba Fett. He is cited for the past 30 years, 31 years now of Deadpool, from the get-go, he was um, inspirational for Deadpool. And you go, well, how so? He's a mercenary. He worked for a mob boss. Deadpool worked for a mob, bo mob boss called Tolliver, and he was hunting down Cable in the same way that Boba Fett was working for Jabba the Hutt, and he was hunting down Han Solo, okay? This is the basis where this all came together. Then you put the Spider-Man component, Spider-Man with guns and swords, the way I pitched him to Marvel because Spider-Man was not fun or funny at the time. And, and uh, especially given that period of time, again, when you go back in time and you land in those months and that period that I am talking to you about, it becomes all crystal clear. Don't let people shift uh, the sands of time and, and reason in the ways that they want to because people are trying to twist and manipulate uh, things towards what they want all the time. You, you guys know I did an entire episode on fandom where the guy told me, you know, he congratulated me. It's now literally a year ago. He congratulated me on Jim Carrey being the villain in Deadpool 3. And I said, but that's not true. And he said, but I want it to be true. And I said, but it's not true. And he said, but I want it to be true. And he walked off and it was weird. And it, I had not stood flesh, flesh to flesh with someone who's like, yeah, I've come up with this idea or I read this idea and I like it so much that I'm going to congratulate on you as if it happened. And if you tell me that it hasn't happened, I'm going to tell you, well, that doesn't really matter to me because I want it to happen and wanting it to happen is enough to make me like think it happened. Wow. Craziness. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's nutty, right? But, uh, Boba Fett was a giant influence on the entire concept of bringing Deadpool into the pages of New Mutants 98, his reason, his function. And then we built out his storyline and his, you know, attachment to Wolverine and Weapon X and all that stuff is what I brought to the table when I sold him to Marvel. But Boba Fett was always underserved. I would all I've told also how disappointed 15-year-old Rob was in Return of the Jedi when he was knocked off the 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 J Jabba's ship and 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 dropped into the giant, you know, uh, uh, vagina with teeth and, and, uh, and, uh, was, was, was not to be seen again. And you're like, wait, what all these years that the, 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 the proof of purchases from the action figures that I earned, that I cut out, that I mailed in all that time waiting for Bet Boba Fett to arrive as an exclusive figure, uh, his brief, but kind of cool appearance in M empire. But we clearly didn't get enough other than him arguing with Vader and some cool stances. And, but he always, he looked cool. No matter what you did to Boba Fett, you know, he looked cool. But uh, his fate in Return of the Jedi was a real letdown. And, and it wasn't the kind of conflict that, that, that any of us wanted to see. And truly, I'll tell you that uh, aside from his first appearance on the, the Christmas, the, the Star Wars holiday um, special, where he appeared in a very stylistic rendition as, a, as an animated character first, 
Um, so in many ways, like so many of the characters that we see on the Star Wars show, Mandalorian, Boba Fett brought to life, whether it's, you know, Ahsoka or, or uh, you know, Cad Bane. I mean, Boba Fett started as a cartoon, then arrived as an action figure. We eventually got him in live action, and now it's circled back to this streaming show. But the best he'd ever, ever appeared, and I went back and I watched it recently, was his whatever, uh, penultimate episode of Mandalorian when he catches up with Mandalorian, when Mandalorian brings Yoda to the, sorry, not Yoda, Grogu, baby Yoda, um, to to the, whatever, the, the Jedi stone so he could receive the force signal and send out a, you know, a, a beam of, of, you know, thought, recognition, whatever, so that Luke could track him. Okay, that episode, when Boba Fett and Fennec catch up with Mandalorian and... He is obviously unmasked. He doesn't have his armor until midway through because he decides to go and, you know, take it out of uh, Mando's ship before it's blown to smithereens. Uh, I watched that episode again uh, in the middle of this Boba Fett season, Book of Boba Fett season, and I was blown away again. I thought Robert Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez gives us two Robert Rodriguez's. There's the the machete, desperado, um, you know, El Mariachi, Robert Rodriguez. And then there's the Spy Kids, Robert Rodriguez. I prefer, you know, the Desperado, El Mariachi, you know, Machete, Robert Rodriguez. And um, even though Machete was his pivot to uh, to kind of a more kind of a tongue-in-cheek 70s grindhouse approach, but um, he's been... He's given us different facets of him in all of the different episodes that he's aired for this season of Boba Fett. But uh, that Mandalorian season two Boba Fett episode where he catches up and gets his armor and they decide to team up at the end. It's fantastic. I love the brutality um, that he uh, uh, expressed, that Boba Fett expressed with his, you know, sand people, his Tuscan Raider battle staff, whatever you call it. Some of you people who all that matters to, I just go, oh, it's the battle staff from the Tuscans, but I know it's got like a technical name and we saw how he got it earlier this season, taking it from the tree and having it forged and all cool stuff. I love that we got the background for that, but that episode, I love the brutality. It's It, it feels more mature and R-rated and more focused and it was definitely, uh, definitely more on the violent and graphic end, smashing Stormtroopers' helmets in a way that we hadn't seen before. It was great. I loved it. And uh, so I was wondering who we would get for the finale of Boba Fett, okay? And all along, the book of Boba Fett, I enjoyed it. I have always enjoyed it because I remember a time where we didn't get anything remotely like this. The finale of Boba Fett felt like a $120 million budget. You know what I'm talking about. If you've jumped off and I'm no longer in the spoiler territory with you, which I hope you do before I say one more thing, I want you to decide if you haven't seen the Boba Fett finale, get off right now. Just, just, just quit, stop or come back to this later. Cause I'm about to spoil, discuss spoilers for the book of Boba Fett, um, season finale. You guys, when Boba Fett is, is okay. First of all, we know because of the promise of all the episodes leading up to it, that we're going to see Mandalorian in his armor and Boba Fett in his armor on the streets of Mos Espa, you know, dueling uh, side by side in the air, jetpacks. All of that has been promised to us. We believed it. They delivered. 
Okay, they delivered on that. That was fantastic. When they are, you know, when Mando is shooting right and, and Boba Fett is behind him crouched and shooting left and they're shooting over and across each other and they're flying up with their jetpacks, it's the 11-year-old in me is activated. I am 54 years old. I am screaming on the at, from the top of my lung from my luxurious, you know, uh, uh, recliner, my, my beautiful recliner seats. And I'm screaming, oh my gosh, oh, I'm turning my wife who's like, oh my gosh, here he goes again. He's a child. I said, I can't believe this. Oh my gosh, if I was 11, if I was 11, my mind would be blown. My mind's blown right now. Just like yours was, I'm sure. But when Boba Fett comes back on the Rancor and he's riding it and he is atop the Rancor beast with the chains in, in the Rancor beast mouth, I mean, come on. It is the ultimate payoff of, you know, the way that he, again, if he opens his eyes and the first human he lays his eyes on, which was Boba Fett, that he would bond with and that that scent and all the stuff that Machete, when he delivered Rancor to uh, Boba Fett earlier in the season, all that stuff that he mentioned, this is the ultimate payoff. Oh my gosh, he went and got him out of the pit. He rode him all the way into the city and now we are getting a very kind of Looks like Godzilla moves like King Kong. Awesome. I mean, amazing. Pitting him against giant, you know, cyborg mecha, you know, imperial, whatever those are. You know, not necessarily imperial, but they clearly bought them and they're expensive and they were very well armed and they, you know, had some, they, they, they made a term out of them at some point. It seemed like a a mashup of some of the uh, vehicles that we had seen in the prequels on, on uh, Naboo and, and all, and, and, you know, in different aspects of the Clone Wars. Um, but what killer kick-ass me- mechanical, you know, menaces these were with all their guns and their claws and their prongs and the rancor beast. And then him climbing on top of, you know, different buildings and collapsing them and the strength and the breadth of his fury. I was so into it. And, 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 and then, I mean, Cad Bane, Boba Fett, okay, Fennec, Mando, Grogu, the Rancor, the Pike. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, the Pike are great design characters. Um, when, the, when, when they have their armored plates over their fish faces and their, you know, kind of uh, the, the, the headdresses that they wear, they're great. Again, great design. Why do we go nuts over Star Wars? Because it looks great. Because we so often... I'm going to do it again. Pivot towards what looks great. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, we love what looks great. What, 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 you know, the visuals matter and, and they brought it. And I just felt like this, all of the special effects, the Rancor Beast, the, the Mecha. Um, if, if you know the name of those, great. I'm sure some of you will go to Twitter and say, Mr. Liefeld, I'm appalled that you didn't know the name of this was actually the, the, the Tiger 690, whatever. Those uh, mechanical, you know, weapons that were used against uh, Mando and Boba and that were overwhelming him and they couldn't get beyond the shields, all the shootouts in the street, it just, it was fantastic. It had a big, giant budget. And here's the deal. Here's what I know for sure. I had a blast watching this show. Yeah, a couple things would bother me, but I don't take to the airwaves and, and, and pummel this show with negative. You can't find a negative thing that I put forth uh, since the end, whatever that late last week in December when it aired, you, you just can't find it. I didn't, I didn't say anything because if stuff, something bothers me, I'm just like, what, what's wrong with me? What part of entitled fanboy, uh, d- d- am I, you know, uh, 
trying to suppress here because I don't want to be that guy that, oh, why do they call it the Book of Boba Fett? Come on. Well, because it, it's had Boba Fett in, in a ton of those, you know, episodes, right? And 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 then we we uh, we segued because you don't want me to hear that say that word anymore. We segued. I'm using a different word with the same meaning. We segued towards Mando and his story, and then they all came together. Um, but the, the 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 penultimate issue, the, the episode six before the finale, with the most mind blowing Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, turn back the clock. I mean, every angle was perfect. You were checking it out the way I was. Would he look great from the three-quarter view, from the profile? What about when he spoke? You guys, what an improvement. Getting that deep fake guy, that's the first thing I thought. Wow, that deep fake guy who, who at the finale of Mandalorian, uploaded that video and showed them like, ah, maybe you guys should do this. He was worth his price in gold. Oh my gosh, Luke Skywalker looked amazing. And you did. We, we, like I told my kids, like the John Wayne estate, was um, defending the likeness rights for John Wayne about a decade ago because they saw the forest for the trees. They knew that people were going to master this technology and they could make more John Wayne Westerns, okay? And so all manner of people are like, well, they could do Marilyn Monroe movies and bring Paul Newman back. And it's scary that, it, that this technology has been scary from the get-go. The guy who does the Tom Cruise deep fix, it, it's really, really scary what they can do. And it's going to provide a lot of outs for people who, when they show stuff that they may or may not have done to say, that's not me, that's a deep fake. And the onus will be on everyone to prove that it was not, in fact, a deep fake. Because these are so scary now, how realistic they can, you know, pull everything off. It's really crazy. And, uh, but Boba Fett, the series, was fun. I watched it to visit the Star Wars universe. And I think the Star Wars shows, the Lucasfilm shows, I think on D Disney Plus through... Now three full seasons of Star Wars shows, which what's taken which has taken us three years, while we got five Marvel series in one year. In one freaking year, we got I mean almost what accumulates to but not quite fifty plus episodes, forty five episodes of Marvel shows, and in one year where with the Star Wars Lucasfilm stuff we've gotten you know maybe did did we get twenty seven you know live action streaming shows the the Lucasfilm stuff I think is, 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 is superior to me because of the, there is not one of the Marvel shows that I believe I could look at and go, that's a hundred million dollars. And maybe you're like, no, no, no life. They spent 69.2 million on the finale, whatever. It's huge for one hour. I felt like I was watching something that absolutely belonged on the big screen, that big screen, uh, special effects, action, choreography, stunts. Um, I was just blown away. Last week, the Luke Skywalker episode, again, looked expensive and expansive, and it looked amazing. The first 20 minutes of Bryce Dallas Howard's um, Mandalorian episode where he, you know, takes out the the dog-faced guy, you know, in the back of the, uh, of, of, of like the, the, where they cut up the, the slaughterhouse. And then he delivers them and then he goes and reunites with his Mandalorians and the guy fights him for the Black Saber. That looked expensive and and like ridiculously like expansive without limits. Like the, the Star Wars, and maybe that's why we're not getting them at the same clip is because the special effects and all of the different technology and they do absolutely use a different level of technology that they establish for these shows with these, um, I've had friends who've gone and who've, who've signed their life away to go and appear and watch 
these it's this incredible 3d uh blue screen green screen technology um it's like nothing ever ever anyone's seen before maybe marvel is now starting to apply them i'm not sure but the bottom line is book of boba fett gave me a kick-ass boba fett enough enough i loved seeing him learn from the sand people and learning why he looked the way he did in the mandalorian season and why we saw him watch Cobb Vanth when he flew by or when Mando was leaving uh, Tatooine and, and, and the idea, you know, we all kind of suspected that he was the one that got Fennec the first time seeing, you know, exactly how he tended to her and brought her back to life and, 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 uh, you know, gave her that kind of cyborg apparatus, how he exactly went about that. His, um, I loved him being trained with the indigenous people. It was very much like dances with wolves, dances with Boba, you know, he, he went to live with the sand people. He made friends with them. They taught him. He taught them. He learned and added to his arsenal of moves. I love that that was the last thing that he used in order to defeat Cad Bane. Again, I warned you, I'm, I'm doing spoilers here. Um, just super fun. I don't know why you're watching a Star Wars show if you're not trying to have fun. Some of these people, and I read some of this stuff, and it really is entitled fandom has descended upon these shows with like, well, it's, you know, needs to, you know, be more intelligent and all bullshit. It needs to be cool and fun. These are giant toys in giant sandboxes brought to roaring life with giant budgets. And I go, oh, Rob Liefeld defends dumb Boba Fett because looks cool. Yep. Make sure you print that. That's what I'm saying. Rob Liefeld defends uh, dumb Boba Fett because it looks cool. Boom. Put a period at the end of that story. That's what I'm talking about. What a blast. Why do we even buy these toys? As I say this to you, I am surrounded by probably 100 toys in my office. I mean, I'm looking at a Frank Miller, Batman, Dark Knight action figure. I'm looking at Deadpool on a moped with Dogpool and Squirrelpool. And then Deadpool. And then I got the New Gods, Jack Kirby figures. I got a Batman Beyond. I got all manner of different Cable, Venompool, X-Force, Deadpool, Domino, um, a gazillion Deadpools, Deadpool Pops, Shatterstar. I mean, yeah, I've got it all here. I am living in an action figure-centric playground beneath me i have the six million dollar man uh action figure from my youth i have a bunch of uh kind of a gi joe knockoff that mattel did that i i, I would really have to be drunk in the middle of the night to do an entire episode on uh the <laughs> the, <laughs> the world of big jim's wolf pack but you bet i got big jim's wolf pack right down at my feet because i love this stuff and 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 playing with toys you're either in it or you're not and like i've said i've got my buddy my buddy our kids have grown up together I'm at his house watching Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Name's Chuck. Hi, Chuck. Talking about you. It's gonna be. It's gonna be good. Chuck. Uh, hey, come here. He says in in between making all of us tremendous, amazing food on the grill at his be- beautiful palatial estate. Come here. I want to show you something. Walks me over, pulls out a drawer underneath his giant big screen, hands me the De- the Deadpool movies. He goes, I don't even like comic book movies. But I love these. I watch these all the time. Man, these are great. You know, congratulations. These are great. I don't even like comic movies. He, he told me three times he didn't even like comic movies. Do you think, and Chuck played football for Arizona State or Arizona, uh, big giant football player, uh, big giant athlete, deep grovelly voice, funny guy, nice guy, great kids, great wife, love them. You think he ever played with toys? I'm going to tell you right now. He did not play with toys he most certainly did not play with action figures the way we did and who do you think is making up this audience anyway okay and 
I love how people come and they go, oh man, oh man. People aren't talking about Boba Fett. Well, yeah, it's 10 a.m. Every kid who's going to watch this show, they didn't. They, they most likely did not wake up at 6 o'clock. Some did, I'm aware, at 6 a.m. to watch it before they went to school. Most of them, because I've got my buddy, I'm going to tell you right now, you've, you've heard him on the show. I'm going to bring him up by name. Jimmy J, Jimothy J Squirrel. Jimmy J, okay? Jimothy J, love that guy. He has a great kid, Jonas. They watch Boba Fett in the late afternoons or the evenings after they air. They are not uh, watching them before Jonah, who needs all his sleep before he goes to school to learn, right? And probably has to, you know, be doing it in a mask up at some LA school district, okay? He is not watching the book of Boba Fett or the Mandalorian before he goes to school. He sees it with his pops when he comes home, okay? And so tonight... A whole bunch of people are watching Boba Fett and it's, it's blowing their mind. <laughs> Minds are being blown. I mean, come on. Boba Fett is, is riding a Rancor beast, okay? Which is taking on giant Star Wars mecha, you know, uh, android mechanical walking tanks. And oh my gosh, the Pike Warriors. Like I said, did I love the Power Ranger kids as I call them? I, I did not love them. But I'm also not going to devote multiple tweets into telling you what I didn't like. I'm trying, like the the... I know what it's like. Look, we can go back 20 years to when um, Ron Miller, I'm sorry, Ronald D. Moore, brilliant, was giving us that amazing upgrade, update, reboot of Battlestar Galactica. That did not always have the best special effects. There were episodes where the Cylons looked dodgy. And um, I see advertisements for some of these like early turn of the century, like late 90s, early 2000s, like... uh, when they did like Jason and the Argonauts or they did the, the sci-fi channel or was it NBC? I don't know. Maybe it was both of them together because they're both owned by the same network, uh, same same parent company. Uh, they did like a Dune. And there's a certain like, there's a sp- certain special effect back in the late 90s, early, early 2000s. And it was always, it was like a step above like stop motion, but it was like stop motion with computers. It just looked like it didn't belong in the same plane on the same kind of, uh, you know, in the same interaction or the same world that took you out. You're like, oh, that looks kind of fake still. That's as good as they can do. Okay. None of that applies to these shows. Oh my gosh. That's why I'm like, you guys, just 15, 16 years when we weren't getting this kind of stuff. We were not. And I don't see this on the Marvel shows. I don't. The opening of the first episode of Falcon Winter Soldier was as big as that show ever got. Okay. It was huge. It was amazing. I loved it. Falcon taking out helicopters and battling the canyons. It's like, it's like a Marvel movie. Like I told you before, like how we used to look at the Marvel movies before Avengers, the Iron Man, you know, the Hulk, the Iron Man 2, the the the, the Thor cap. It's like, ah, oh, they ran out of money at the end and they just kind of shoot it and wrap it up because they spent all their money in the first two acts. You know, Winter Soldier felt like they spent all the money in the opening. Okay, that's just how I feel. Did I enjoy it? Yes. Did they, but, but what was the scope a little smaller? Felt like every episode they were fighting in a warehouse. Okay. Um, the Star Wars films are huge. I, I wish that we were going into a new Star Wars show next week. I am so obsessed. I can't wait for Obi-Wan. I can't wait for Andor. I can't wait for Ahsoka, whatever they're going to call it. Um, I just give them, give them to me. I need them. They're big. They're expensive. They're, they're spending a ton of money. Okay. On these. Now, maybe someone will clear their voice and tell me, well, Rob, you understand why they're doing this is because, uh, they're not doing theatrical releases right now. So all their budgets are, I don't care. Save it. I see what I see. 
and I like what I see, and I want more Star Wars. And so, yes, I'm sorry that Boba Fett didn't tickle you intellectually. I'm sorry it didn't unlock a secret of the universe. Um, but it was damn good fun. I loved it. Give me more, please. More Mandalorian. Uh, more Jedi's. More lightsabers. More Star Wars Mecha. More Rancor beasts. I mean, from the crate dragon to the Rancor beast, Favreau understands that we like our creatures, and he's tapping into elements of this world that we have never truly seen expanded on in this way. You can see a Rancor Beast in an episode of The Clone Wars or Rebels, but it is not like what we saw in that book of Boba Fett. The minute I saw it, I'm like, oh my gosh, new icon- uh, iconic imagery, I- iconography. Boba Fett riding the Rancor Beast. Boom. Boba and Mando in their showdown in the streets. These are the Westerns of my youth juiced up with all the crazy great sci-fi stuff and I dig it and I dig it the most and that's just the opening of the show this that wasn't supposed to be the whole episode right just just me telling you how much I'm loving these Star Wars shows and that now that the finale's out and the and, and the verdict is in I'm going to tell you I freaking loved it I freaking loved uh the book of Boba Fett I enjoyed it thoroughly uh for every for every single iota that it gave us and uh and and i'm so pleased again i hope that in the one day soon we can get a marvel type rollout where you know for at least maybe maybe there's a couple weeks off and then boom we're right into a new show boom we're right into a new show again because marvel gave us wandavision then with a couple weeks in between winter soldier falcon then loki then you know what if then you know we got a little little wait and then we got hawkeye and those are fun. They were fun shows. Some of them, most of them, but man, these Star Wars shows—they open it up. They get big. They get big. I mean, we get we get Starcrafts. We get we get hyperspace jumps. Oh my gosh! I just so impressed. So happy that I enjoyed the book of Boba Fett. I I I you know, it 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 really was just a great great fun. I I I was able to watch the the first episode with my kid before he went back to college. And uh, we talk every week. It connects us. It unites us. He's as blown away as I am. I get to see it through his 21-year-old eyes. And he's digging it as well. And uh, so I, I hope you're having fun again with these shows. I am. I know I am. And, and I hope that they keep giving us more, more, more. We want more. Give us more. Come on. Don't let us down. More Star Wars shows. Soon. Sooner than later. So one of the things that I was always kind of cognizant of or 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 that I was uh just acutely aware of is is don't don't put politics in your comic books um that that's that's a tricky tricky recipe and for the most part I, I would advise I would advise against it I would advise not to put your politics in your comic books because just for the absolute reason that you know not everybody agrees and politics is as we've seen now more than ever can be so terribly, terribly divisive. And yet, Marvel Comics really used politics to fuel a monster run and a sales resurgence in uh, in the pages of Captain America in the mid-70s, the era that I had just begun to collect comic books. That entire 1974-1975 is a little fuzzy to me other than I remember that Avengers 141, the Squadron Supreme, 
uh, Avengers story that I literally kicked my podcast off recounting because, holy crap, the Squadron Supreme looks just like the Justice League. What's going on here? That that was when I became a regular, multiple times a week, going to you know the, my infamous uh, Four Corners, <laughs> the 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 awesome you know four way stop where the liquor store and the 7-Eleven and the Stater Brothers food market and the Pizza Hut were. And three of those places uh, served comic books and one served pizza. And many times I'd buy, especially on the weekends, I'd get a comic book. My parents, we'd go sit in the booth at Pizza Hut. Oh my gosh, magic. I, I Now, I, I actually can tell you quite a few of the comics that got my little grease stains, thumb, thumbprints on them, okay? Because man, I mean, comics are great. What, what a blast. What, what, what an absolute uh, fun exercise. Pizza and comic books. We should do it all the time. But this period of time, uh, I was grabbing different issues of Captain America uh, during 74, 75 because there was something going on in Captain America that was very distinct. And that was he was no longer Captain America. He had become a character called Nomad. And let me tell you something. I love Nomad. I I bought Captain America wanting more Nomad, but the issues were out of order for quite some time. And as again, I've, I've mentioned to you guys uh, many times over that during this period, uh, the spinner racks, the, the, the shelves of the 7-Eleven, uh, the, they would just have three to four months, sometimes six months worth of comic books, depending on how diligent each of the managers, owners were in regards to doing the returns. Of course, if you wanted to get, you know, uh, uh, the money on the unsold comics uh, applied to your next shipment or or to an upcoming shipment, that is what we call and what was called in the industry as returnability, returns. And if comic books were on the newsstand, as they were all over every major, um, major city, again, I've talked a couple times when we would go up to Los Angeles, 45-minute drive, from Orange County to Los Angeles, I would see newsstands. And, and, and then those did not exist in Orange County. But, I mean, floor to ceiling for a block, you know, outdoor newsstands. And and, and that just blew my mind. And, and I, I wish I would have stayed there all day the few times that I encountered them when I was a kid, going up with my kid, my, my, my mom and dad to L.A. I always said my mom would go, we're going to the city. We're going to the city. The city was the big deal. We'd, we'd drive and experience LA, you know, have breakfast and then lunch and then drive home and, and in the middle do shopping. <clears throat> and I encountered newsstands. But if you were on the newsstand in the liquor store and the 7-Eleven and all these places, they qualified as newsstands, newsstand distribution, you got to send the books back in. Well, some of the vendors, managers, owners, whatever, weren't as diligent. They, they just let them sit around, maybe the hopes that they'd eventually sell to a curious kid like me, or uh, they just did it maybe quarterly, annually. They would, uh, I don't know what the terms of, but the returnability, you would tear the cover off of all the comics you wanted to return and send those back to your distributor. They would then count that, the 25 cents a copy, 20 cents a copy, because I got in at 20 cents a copy, and, uh, and watched the price go rapidly over the next, you know, five years. 20 cents, 25 cents, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 60. Um, so, so during this period when you would walk in, you could have six months worth of comics. 
So if you're buying comics in May of 1975, it's possible that winter 1974 comics are there. And that was really fun. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I, I can get Captain America, you know, 144, 145, and 150. Now that, that I'm just pulling those numbers, you know, out of my butt here. Or I could get like the, the champions issue three, issue six, eight, nine, and ten. Uh it, it's just it was a fun time. Now, were they in the best condition? No. Again, need to underscore condition was not something that was uh, uh you know a concern at that period at that time. But Nomad was Steve Rogers dressed in another costume and another identity because he had given up Captain America. He had given up that identity. Now, how did this come about? Why did this come about? This is what we're going to discuss today. This is when politics really paid off for Marvel Comics. And 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 again, Captain America is a character uh, unlike most that seems once a generation finds itself in need of a really hard reboot. I have been part of one of those. I was a part of it when Marvel said, "Hey, we are we can't give Captain America away. This book is selling 25,000 copies uh a month." When 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 I took over the the Hail Mary that the editor who was editing the book because the Heroes Reborn deal was negotiated in 95. Those, uh, I'm sorry, started negotiating late 94. We started working on the books in 96 because the negotiations and the contracts and all the meetings, we would go to Los Angeles, uh, we would fly to New York. We were in constant uh, uh, negotiations. Myself and Jim Lee and uh, helping us out through all of this was the publisher of Image Comics at the time, Larry Martyr. And we had been negotiating this. So the powers that be at Marvel, the editorial staff, knew that they were going to give these books to us. And and from the outset, it was Captain America, Iron Man, Avengers, and Fantastic Four. There were no other uh, books on the table. And early on, again, I got Cap and the Avengers. Jim got Fantastic Four and Iron Man. So they, uh, I, when I was offered Captain America, it was when... Uh, I mean, he was Cap Wolf. He had the the like armor that made him look like the NFL Super Pro. It was it was not a great time for the character. He was doing very poorly. But one of the editors was like, "No, I can show Marvel the error of their ways. They're making a terrible mistake outsourcing these books to these image guys who, you know, they had really grown to resent." Many in the editorial and uh, offices had grown to resent us, and uh, and so he wisely hired. Uh, Mark Wade and Ron Garney, who really put everything they possibly could into making the book as as really good as they could possibly make it, and it still sold twenty five thousand copies. One year later, the needle did not move for all the praise and all the blow. And Wizard, I mean, they blew that thing like a trumpet. They wanted everyone to know, like, this is the book, and they were actively, I think, trying to make the entire shift uh, more difficult. New, uh, the Wizard offices were in New York. The Marvel offices were in New York. There was a lot of buddy-buddy um, friendships. The entire existence of the Image Comics, you know, publishing, we, we've been a West Coast operation with West Coast talent. And believe me, there was a West Coast-East Coast rivalry along the lines of what you would experience in the rap community at the time, which turned out terribly for figures, you know, like Tupac, okay? Um, and 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 so, so, I mean, the, the bottom line, is that there was a serious rivalry and, and that we were not really seen as welcome. We were absolutely given the coldest of shoulders, which is fine. It's big, we're big boys. We're, that, 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 that came with the dinner. That came with the agreement. 
But that was a time where Cap needed a hard reboot. Nothing they could do could get people interested. Years and years of just, uh, people had just tuned out Captain America. He wasn't at the forefront of, of what was driving the culture, so the sales moved away. So in 19, around 1973, 72, uh, there is an artist named, uh, an artist named, uh, sorry, a writer named Steve Englehart. Steve Englehart, who ironically, you guys, was writing, he is the writer of Avengers 141. The, the, he is the scribe, the author uh, of the comic that I started this podcast with. Anything Steve Englehart was writing in the mid-70s was worth grabbing. Doctor Strange, Avengers, Captain America. He pivoted late in, in, in the decade to, to Batman. Um, went over to DC, did a bunch of stuff there. The guy uh, is fantastic. I bought everything he ever did. His creator-owned work, whether it was Scorpio Rose, whether it was Coyote, um, just a huge Steve Englehart guy. Uh, really enjoyed following his work. Uh, it, always very, very, very intellectually stimulating. He put a lot of, I think, um, especially in the Avengers, a lot of cosmic twists and turns and, and, and relationship issues. The first time I, like, again, I realized, wow, the vision is an Android and he is sleeping with a flesh and blood woman in Wanda Maximoff. I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm reading a comic where a, a, a robot is banging a, a witch. And, 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 and let's be honest. I mean, that, that's, that's what, how it processed, but, um, he really did a great job in, uh, writing. He, he wrote the weirdest Kang the Conqueror story. He put Thor and Hawkeye in the wild west with Marvel's Western heroes. Uh, everything he was doing was, was something I wanted to read. And, and he was very popular. And a, the other day, a guy goes, uh, one of my comic book friends, like, I wonder why, like Steve Englehart isn't celebrated more. And it is a shame. He's, like the Chris Claremont of his era, he predates Chris. Chris kind of picked up on a lot of things I think that Steve did well and ran with them. And the difference is that Chris was with the franchise for 10 years. And we've talked in a podcast episode I did early on in the first season about, you know, um, memorable runs and and how staying on a book matters and it creates that bond. And, and, and especially in the formative years, especially when you're building your career. And that's why I was so lucky to do the 28, 30 installments of New Mutants X-Force straight before going on and doing 10, 12 Youngblood. I mean, if you count the Youngblood Strike Files, 13, you know, it, it become associated with something. And, 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 and the fans are then dialed in. For whatever reason, whatever been moving in the culture, Captain America was not at the forefront of it. And, and again, uh, I mean, Steve Englehart would go on to do about roughly, I would say, 36... 36 issues that I'm, I'm spitballing here, 36 issues of Captain America, um, which would, would start in 1972. He wrote the book all the way through uh, until the end, December of 1975, because they handed the book back to, come on, the creator, Jack Kirby. 72 through 75 is a long time. I mean, again, that, that is a extended period where he bonded and become became the most kind of a, you know, renowned Captain America writer of his time. But let's hear from from Steve Englehart what was going on. Um, actually, before I just tell you that, I really want to reemphasize. So Nomad, who is Nomad? Nomad is Steve Rogers. It's very clear when you, they make it very clear when you pick the book up that it's, you know, you, you they, they don't waste any time. Like 
Tom DeFalco told me when I got into comics, he said, you have to spoon feed your reader, treat them like they're in second grade and they need to be spoon fed the knowledge. That's part of the seven pages of action that you see your characters and what they can do and they're pushed to the limits and you see, can he shoot webs? Can he throw a shield? Oh, this guy has a hammer. He uses his armor. Then we go into seven pages of character interaction, conflict, drama, um, you know, going to the newspaper, getting your assignment, Peter Parker, um, you know, going into the office, checking how the, you know, the industry is, is working, Tony Stark, and that, you know, or, or, or going back to the apartment and having a romantic, you know, fling Tony Stark before getting a call that someone's attacking the labs, and then boom, you put the armor on, and the last seven pages, you're attacking the threat that is, that is threatening your lab, and then cliffhanger, boom, on to the next. Nomad was clearly and perfectly and wonderfully established as being Steve Rogers right out from the get-go. And uh, you, you, you would open the book, you would see, hey, who's this blonde guy? It was a very simple costume. It had that sweet open chest uh, that, that so many guys were rocking. Luke Cage, uh, Prince Namor, the Submariner, was rocking the same look during the same time. And <laughs> yeah, the, the open the bare chest kind of kind of uh, with a little costuming on, on both sides of the pecs that go down the abdomen. Um, th this was a very, very, very popular look. And so my encountering Nomad was like, I just like the way he looked. I thought he looks cooler. Now, at the same time, Captain America was in action, but he was skinny. He was like a skinny. They, they drew him as if the, uh, they drew him as if, you know, the fit wasn't solid. They drew him as if, you know, the costume didn't fit well because, in fact, a kid had taken over Captain America's uh, identity. Just like Spider-Man when he infamously gives up the costume, and you've seen it cinematically when Tobey Maguire did it in Spider-Man 3. You've seen it. Um, they they, they kind of riffed on it in in No Way Home when, um, when, when, when uh, Green Goblin gives up his mask and stores throws his costume and stuff in the trash and uh and Harry walks away um and the uh the, the the you know so so I mean it's that entire William Defoe sequence in the alley it's kind of a nod to this as well Cap does the same thing he throws his costume away I'm not Captain America anymore it's the big iconic trope the I'm not this guy anymore I'm leaving it behind and well this other kid found the costume and he goes well somebody needs to be a Captain America so he decided to be a Captain America Captain America 181, uh, it was called Captain America the Falcon, has Cap battling, a younger looking Cap battling the Serpent Society, uh, a bunch of different eel and uh, I forget this other guy's name, uh, but he says, out of my way you cheap hoods, you don't stand a chance against the new Captain America and Falcon is on the ledge of a building keeping Nomad back and he says, stay back Nomad, you had your chance to be Captain America, now it's his turn. Very compelling. Bought this off the rack. Could not resist it. Opens with Nomad in front of the Lincoln Memorial when Namor. So you got open chess guy and open chess guy, you know, um, fighting each other. You know, no, Submariner says, hey, I have no quarrel with you, Nomad. I I, I, I only in desire information and cap in his word bubble because he's got a full kind of, you know, face mask on. But then he's got his two gold medallions on 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 his uh, on his clavicle, and then boom, open chest, gold gloves. It's a very simple costume, really simple. But boy, 
I'm looking at it right now. Did it resonate with me? I thought he was the coolest. And Cap says, Steve Rogers says, he doesn't recognize me. But then why should he? No one knows I was Captain America. But what's this about a quarrel? And he says, it's not by choice that I tread the surface world again, American. But I'll spend as little time here as possible. You have to tell me, where is Warlord Krang? This is Namor. And then, uh, you know, they fight. Because Nomad says, I don't know what you're talking about. And Submariner says, I have no time to waste. You surface crawlers treat me like I'm a fool. And they go fisticuffs. Just to show you, me as a kid... You know, this is on page, look, we're into the action. Splash page, Nomad is in front of the Lincoln Memorial. There's a shadow coming from the side wall, so you know someone's entering the frame. Boom. By the mid-page of page two, mid-panel of page two, Submariner and Nomad are, are fighting, and then they're fighting on page three, trading blows. And, uh, I mean, there it's one, two, three, four, six blows. Then we're on page four, another, boom, tackles Nomad into the ground. And then he says, look, Give me a chance, Namor. And, uh, and, 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 and uh, you know, Namor's going to teach Nomad a lesson. And then he, no, Namor says, you seem familiar to me. And he says, that's right, you guessed it. You've known me since 1941 as Captain America. My credit should be good when I say I don't know where Krang is. And then Namor's like, ah, okay, I was hasty in my judgment. And so Krang is not yet bonded with the serpent squad but but i know he will and then he takes off and nomad's like uh he's not even interested in me we then see the serpent squad in interacting with krang so namor was right then we see nomad and namor downloading and this download is important to me as a reader and uh you know he tells him you know uh we've been talking a half hour name uh uh namor and you've never asked me why i changed my identity and he says you, and Namor says, you sound annoyed. Why? Everything changes in this life. My costume, your president. If you dwelt in the depths as do I, you would know that the currents always shift and you'd cease to be impressed by such things. I am certain you had your reasons. And then literally they run off after hearing what's going on on a police radio, uh, a band radio, and they take off. Uh, and so now Nomad and Namor are teamed up. That is my introduction to Nomad. So I needed desperately to find the other issues that had Nomad. Well, <clears throat> lo and behold, like I said, one of the other stores uh, absolutely had the first appearance. I was only behind by one issue. And in 180 is when Captain America and the Falcon, it says the end of Captain America, the awesome origin of Steve Rogers and his new identity. And he says, look out, world beaters. Here comes Nomad. He had a cape for the entire first episode. He has a he has a cape. And they got rid of it wisely by issue 181. Um, his, his cape was torn in his battle with the Serpent's, Serpent um, Society. And so he, uh, he, he, he ditches the cape. So why did I just read all this to you? What happened? Why did Cap... Why did Steve Rogers stop being Captain America? Well, it's very complicated because that storyline is also, uh, this storyline is, uh, there's a precursor to this entire storyline and that concerns the the uh, doppelganger Captain America. And all of these come back to Steve Englehart. So now I'm going to read in Steve Englehart's own words. So you, like, again, I am enjoying and they make no, I mean, they tell you immediately in his, in the Lincoln Memorial splash page, 
Steve is lamenting whether he made the right decision by not being Captain America. I know exactly this guy who I am looking at, this blonde with this cool costume, blonde and, I mean, it's all, his hair is blonde, his gloves are blonde, his medallions are blonde, his belt is blonde, his boots are uh, blonde, gold, and his rest of his costume is blue. It's super simple, but I totally dug it. And it really works great when Namor, who had his super cool new blue, and because Namor even says, I changed my costume. I read that panel to you guys. Because he got one with like flight wings and it's, uh, it, it, it had been a new look that he was rocking that John Armita Sr. had designed because they wanted to give him something than just underwear. So to have these two bare-chested guys battling, also, might I add, super macho, super macho throwdowns, trading blows, very fun. Steve Englehart says, so I asked myself, who is Captain America? He's a character forged from the red, hot, and white, and blue passions of some young Americans when World War had begun. Joe Simon and Jack Kirby conceived the iconic image of Cap slugging Hitler in the jaw before America had ever even entered the war. In a rough-and-tumble world at the beginning of comics, Cap flared brightly because of who he was and because Simon and Kirby were among the best creators comics had to offer. Their work was distinct, and so was Captain America. They got a better offer from DC, and they left Cap, who didn't suffer unduly while the war raged on, but once the impetus for Cap was finished in 1945... It wasn't long before he was too. He was an artifact of his time. This is Steve Englehart writing about his remembrances of getting hired to do Captain America and why he wanted to do it at all. Uh, in the 1950s, in the midst of a fevered Cold War with a new enemy, Cap was resurrected as a jingoistic commie hunter. And again, he had a top flight artist in John Romita Sr. But Cap was an artifact of a time now 10 years gone. The 50s Cap disappeared quickly out of a lack of appeal. In the 60s, with Marvel becoming Marvel, all caps, Stan and Jack, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby tried out an imposter cap. Response was positive enough to bring the real cap into the Avengers, with the story of this having been frozen solid, with his having been frozen solid since the end of World War II, there was no mention of the 50s, 1950s incarnation. But the point here is anything Marvel put out before the public, the public was devouring. And when they put the new the resurgent Captain America out there, he was a star all over again. The unfrozen Cap was an artifact of a new time, the Marvel Age. So Cap got a feature taking up half of the Tales of Suspense comic book that he shared with Iron Man. His strip chronicled untold tales of World War II, World War II for a long while until the, readers were, until the readers demanded that they wanted to see the guy that they were seeing in the Avengers comic. So in the late 60s, Marvel took all their half-book strips, like Tales of Suspense, which again was a showcase, half of the book, 12 pages cap, 12 pages Iron Man, or, or, or sometimes 10 and 12. Uh, and so once again, Captain America got his own comic. <clears throat> and all of that was well, except that number one, Stan and Jack had been associated with three characters from the 1940s who had been reborn in the 60s. One was the Human Torch who became a completely different character. Another was the Submariner, who was essentially the same. And the other was Captain America, who was, well, essentially the same, only not at all. His comic book bio said that he was the same, but he hung with the other Marvel heroes of the, of the Marvel age, and that made him modern. Submariner didn't hang with anybody. Cap was a hybrid of old and new, and as it happened, Stan and Jack were the ones who would buy the duality more directly than anyone else. So over time, Captain America lost the sharp focus that other Stan and Jack books and indeed other Marvel books in general were exhibiting all around it. Things happened, but nothing really stuck. The Number two in these three points that he's saying when he says all is well except 
So number one is there were three characters, Submariner, Human Torch, Cap, that were resurrected from the 40s to the 60s, but Cap was more problematic in being relatable. Number two, the Marvel Age was coexistence with the Civil Rights era, and Stan believed in such things. So he added Marvel's first black superhero, the Falcon, to the mix. The idea, no doubt, was to make uh, Cap relevant. When he says um, black American superhero, because we know the first black, big black hero for uh, Marvel was Black Panther. So he says black American superhero, the Falcon, to the mix. The idea, no doubt, was to make Cap relevant, the great hope of that era, but for for better or for worse, Stan's belief in equality didn't translate to much knowledge of the black experience. Steve Englehart says, and I can say that because I had the same problem as we shall see. The Falcon was enjoyable, but no more. Yet he still earned equal billing as of Captain America 134 as the book became Captain America and the Falcon. Number three, the Marvel Age was coexistent with the Vietnam War, which most of Marvel's potential audience detested. A significant number of people saw Cap as the living symbol of an America they didn't buy into, and that was enough. When added to the dilution of Cap's star power by the addition of a co-star and a generally generic approach to Cap's adventures, disappointing sales numbers were the result on Cap and the Falcon. Stan Lee left the comic book with 141. Gary Friedrich took over in number 142, and the sales did not improve. Here we arrive at where Steve Englehart takes over. Um... He says, uh, with issue 149, the book was briefly with Jerry Conaway. Uh, The book that he gave up to take on Captain America was Amazing Adventures, which was starring the Beast, as Beast had been transformed into the blue furry beast that we know and love now. And the truly, uh, he said, uh, the book that he gave up on Cap was Amazing Adventures, Adventures starring the Beast, and the truly lucky guy who took that one over was me. Thus, I began my superhero career the same time that This recollection begins a point relevant only because I'm going to get Captain America next in just four months, as we shall see. But in the here and now, Cap uh, Cap is being done by Jerry Conway, who's doing the best to make the book work. Uh, he, He talks about how the villains were operating with a fine complexity of motive during Captain America 151 and 152. But he says, uh, Jerry's interest in the book was waning even after this brief period of time. Editor-in-chief Roy Thomas, who was taken over for Stan Lee, pulled Steve Englehart aside and said, Jerry Conway is going to move on. And uh, the eyes of those people who were not reading Cap were not so delighted. The book was on the verge of a major contraction. They were about to send Cap to bi-monthly status or cancel it completely. Would I like to write this? They asked Steve Englehart. He actually writes, and how would I like to write it? His response is, I would love to write it very much. Thank you. Roy Thomas said to me the words I've probably quoted in interviews uh, since I've been doing this. We have no time for extensive edits. This is Roy telling Steve, if you can make it sell and turn it on time, you can keep doing it. If you can't, we're going to fire you and find someone who can't. These days, I find that many people cannot grasp the concept of Marvel just handing me Captain America and letting me do whatever I wanted. These days, that would not happen. But in those days, it was standard operating procedure. A guy with three bi-monthly superhero stories to his name, that's the Beast book that he was doing, the Amazing Adventures book, was given total control over Captain freaking America. This is his own words. Told I was told it was probably a suicide mission and uh, to let loose upon the world. 
with my monthly adventures. He goes, that night I went home and I sat down with my entire Captain America collection and I read the whole, every issue. And I made notes. What characters interest me? What subplots hadn't been resolved? I came to the very conclusions I had outlined that Cap had lost his way. No one writer had done it or even intended to do it. It was just to my mind simply that people had always looked at him as something from another era and so not supposed to be as much ours as were all the other Marvel heroes. Cap was an icon. Cap was from the 40s. Cap was both alien and untouchable. The result was he could have just have been, he could have just as soon been Daredevil. Only much less interesting because we know everything there. We knew everything there was to know about the character of Daredevil. With Cap, there was always this gap. He had lived in an era we didn't know. Was there anything that could bridge the gap and connect his first era to the second? Well, he did have that flag on his chest. But to go there, I'd have to say something that the flag stood for something special. And that was not a popular position in the midst of the Vietnam War. I mean, I could just say, America's great, and I, Captain America, believe that. But all I'd get was a character very few readers could like and relate to. And it would make him Daredevil with an attitude. And that didn't solve anything. And really, when when Steve is writing this and talking about the Vietnam War, I'm a kid in the Vietnam War. I'm, I'm a, I remember the end of the war. Uh, Nixon, his presidency, when we would, before dinner, after dinner, in the afternoons, in the mornings, the news was always on. And Watergate had been going on. And so between the end of Vietnam and then the pivot to the Watergate era, those are the news images, mainly in black and white, that I remember. And America was most definitely, uh, you know, at, at odds with itself. It, it, it really was the deepest conflict I'd seen our country in, with the exception of 2020 to, to the last two years, the pandemic, um, all of the social and, and um, you know, unrest, uh, all of the, the the talking heads shouting at each other, the tribalism that politics has become, that is as bad as I've seen it since I was a kid with all this Watergate and Vietnam stuff. America, obviously Vietnam was a war that, that took its toll on this country, <clears throat> treated the soldiers who fought it badly, um, uh, even though they were just doing, uh, you know, in many cases they were young boys out of their element. And we're going to get to that. Steve Englehart will talk to you that he was a, a soldier as well. But between Vietnam and the most divisive president, you know, I had ever experienced, even up to Trump, Nixon was, um, had put this country at odds. And, and, uh, so I can understand we're writing a book like Captain America was a big, was a big, a big, a big project to somebody who, who had this outlook and make no doubt the, 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 he already mentioned and said that this is not you know, a war that he, uh, Vietnam was not a war that America supported. And, and guys like Steve Englehart, I, I think he would say he was a hippie. Jim Starlin, he was a hippie. Uh, all these guys at the time were hippies. And, 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 and the kind of which that you see were protesting in, in film representations of like, let's say a, a quick example is like in Forrest Gump. Okay. They would have talked shit to Forrest Gump and thrown shit at him. And that entire conflict that's what these guys were representing so having a guy a patriotic hero at the time was not something that that was was seen as as particularly <clears throat> admirable or justifiable the patriotism so I'll, i'm going to continue here with steve saying you know the flag could almost stand for american ideals the part of america that most americans believe in it wouldn't then matter that the american reality had gone terribly wrong 
whatever the people in current America were doing, the spirit of America was something special, but, and it transcended the current time. In fact, by transcending the era, it was just as valid in 1940 when Cap was created. Our post-war picture of America in World War II was a platoon of guys from all different backgrounds coming together to defend America because they believed in the one spirit of America. It included them all. <clears throat> American ideals could be the thread that ran through Cap's complete history. Again, and he puts in parentheses, I'm speaking of the w World War II spirit, not the World War II reality. What if, I wondered, Steve Englehart writes, Captain America stopped pretending he didn't have a flag on his chest, not by saying it, but by acting like someone who really believed it. The next day, back in the bullpen, Roy offered a concept that his new writer might use to get started. Who was the Captain America of the 1950s while, while our cap was frozen? I got copies of all the 1950s cap stories and added them to my growing picture of Captain America. The absolute difference between the spirit of the American ideal and the spirit of commie smashing was perfect for what I wanted. I ran with Roy's inquiry. So now here's one last thing. Having read my entire Cap collection, I was very aware of how Cap's story flowed from issue to issue over many years, even as the creative teams changed. Were it not so, we'd have no character of Captain America at all, just a series of miniseries. I was totally down with picking up Cap's story exactly where it was and letting his transformation into something else be part of my story. It was, on the one hand, risky because sales were so bad at the time. But on the other hand, I had to believe that people who would like seeing Cap make progress would be there. If we sold 150,000 copies of the bad comics just on readily accessible newsstands and drugstore racks every month, word of mouth was a powerful force. If people actually started talking about Cap, this book could change its fortunes pretty quickly, I bet. So... He goes on to create this Captain America doppelganger. The 50s guy returns. They give you his entire origin throughout this. And you see that, um, you know, he had plastic surgery to turn blonde, to turn more like <clears throat> the, uh, he, he, he did all of this in order to chase the, 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 the doppelganger cap, uh, you know, was a bigot. He 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 really made him uh, a really bad guy, and it, it really set the stage for the uh, Cap as a Nazi in the the modern day Secret Empire. Which I I don't even like saying that. I don't. It's 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 still something that I was terribly uncomfortable with. <clears throat> uh, but 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 the 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 nineteen fifties Cap was his first kind of storyline. And of course, do you think it ended with the 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 cap, you know the two Captain Americas fighting it out? Of course it did, you know. Uh, two and a one don't go is the name of the finale where where uh, the the nineteen fifties Cap and our modern uh, the 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 true Stephen Rogers uh, clash. And you know, uh, to to his credit, sales were starting to tick up as as I'll cover, and and there was a sense of excitement. Now, I didn't know it because this is before my time. But when I saw these later and I encountered these books and he also had a doppelganger Bucky. So it was the full, I mean, it was the absolute um, <clears throat> culmination of this storyline. And two Captain Americas fighting on a cover is exciting. And when one is saying only one Captain America is going to survive this fight, the real one, and the other one swinging says, and that's me. And then Falcon saying, and, and which one of them is the real Cap? Which one? Even I can't tell for sure. So again, because the cap, the 1950s cap, who had taken, um, who had taken uh, the identity, he um, talks about how he 
you know, again, had been transformed. He, he, he got plastic surgery and, 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 and when the gauze was revealed, he had become his lifetime idol. Um, and now it was 1953 and, uh, and, and, and no one would let him be who he wanted to be. But he, but he got a Bucky. He got a kid who looks like Bucky and recruited him and said, you're going to be in battle with me. And so then he started actually acting as if he was Captain America, listening on, on, on radios for where crime was and that they would inject themselves with serums to give them uh, bursts of super strength and they'd jump into the fray. And in case you're wondering what issues these are, this is um, that, that I'm reading right out of. These are, uh, th 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 this is Captain America... Uh, let's see, <clears throat> Captain America 155, 154, 156, and, uh, and if you're wondering what was happening, Steve Rogers was away on vacation while this is all happening, and in fact, the 1950s Cap and Bucky hunt down Steve Rogers uh, to, uh, and Sharon uh, Carter to, to, to take them out of the picture. It's only Falcon that saves the day, and then they regroup, and then they're able to confront the doppelganger Captain America, and again, it goes a long way in explaining who this 1950s guy who was in action, you know, when Captain America <clears throat> was on ice and hadn't been re rejuvenated through by the Avengers yet. Of course, tri Cap finally triumphs over him, but he uh, he stands over this, you know, fallen, mad, dr driven mad version of Cap and just wants to be alone and realizes, like, because this Cap who had been appearing in the public... Uh, had been, you know, really compromising his image by being more of a bigot and and more violent and 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 not the cap that that Steve Rogers was, and so this begins his kind of uh, uncomfortability with Cap. And in the next issues, Cap is justifiably angry. You don't want to be a criminal after crap after crap after Captain America has put down his doppelganger, who really made him reconsider so many of his own positions. So. The, the book is ticking up. Sales are working. Um, and uh, <clears throat> Steve Englehart talks that uh, through everything that he was doing, you know, that the sales were starting to really tick up. And by, uh, but, but then here's where things get political. He says, in April of 1973, as I was writing Captain America to be published in July with an October cover date. President Richard Nixon's top White House staffers, H.R. Haldeman and John Ehrlichman, as well as the Attorney General Richard Klein, Kleindienst, <laughs> resigned over the scandal caused by the burglary at the Democratic Party headquarters in Washington, D.C., a hotel called the Watergate. White House counsel John Dean was fired. All America said, whoa. And again, growing up, um, clearly what, what would have given even greater bandwidth was if there was the MSNBC, the CNN, the Fox to go along with the networks. Back then, you got your news from CBS, ABC, and NBC. There was no Fox, uh, not even, the, not, not Fox News. There wasn't a Fox network until the late, late 80s. When they, when they launched with like 21 Jump Street and they were only on the air like two or three days a week as they built their network that would eventually give us, you know, 90210, Melrose Place, American Idol, all the giant successes that they had. There was only three places you got your news. So CBS and ABC and NBC were running this 
Watergate scandal nonstop. Okay, in, in 1973, I'm six and seven. That that's my age is during that year. <clears throat> the president is defending himself from all these accusations at all times. Steve Englehart is writing a Captain America story where Cap is being attacked in the newspapers, and he says a more powerful concept then than it is now. Again, the power of the newspaper press was very influential back then. Meanwhile, the Yellow Claw, a, a, a villain that he laments that his name was Yellow Claw in, in passages that I've skipped over, uh, his plan is bearing fruit, and the story lent itself more to the personal lives of our leads, and Steve Rogers spends more time out of costume than in, which provided Sam Wilson as Falcon to spend more time in costume. And, and Englehart goes on to tell you that it was really a conscientious decision of him to, to put more Falcon, Sam Wilson, in the forefront. And he did, and it was great. <clears throat> he says, in May 1973, the Senate, the Senate Watergate Committee began its televised hearings. This meant that every day all of America could watch the deliberations of manifestly seriously high officials with bipartisan credibility as they considered charges of impeachment against the President of the United States. There were Republicans and Democrats on the committee and they disagreed with the polish of the senators and the unspoken uh, agreement that they'd play by the rules. All of America was watching. Me, Steve Englehart, I said not a word about Cap versus his government because I realized that if this was happening in the real America and Captain America was supposed to exist in the real America, he could not fail to react to it. As the one and only writer of Captain America, I, Steve Englehart, had to do Cap versus his government. It occurred to me if I was going to go there, I'd better bring the goods, and that required some deep contemplation. In June 1973, <clears throat> I went to Las Vegas and hung out with some friends, and uh, we were watching the Watergate hearings. And I was writing my monthly assignments for Marvel Comics. I had added a Marvel special edition introducing a new character that he had created alongside Jim Starlin called Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. Of Kung Fu. <clears throat> Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. He uh, really was thinking about, during this time, how he was going to approach Cap, given what was going on with Watergate. And again, all I can tell you is, ask anybody at the time. Watergate was huge. There is a reason Nixon resigned, got on that plane, waved. My parents were total Nixonites, absolute Republicans, and no one could really lift a finger in defense because so much of what he had been, uh, you know, the, the, the missing hour or so on the Watergate tapes, and it was just all adding up to a giant embarrassing crisis. This is a two-term guy. I mean, he had won his second term. Uh, in, in July, he decided... Uh, it, it, oh, it says uh, it says John Dean, who is a political figure in this Watergate, had told Watergate investigators he discussed the Watergate cover-up with President Nixon at least 35 times, and his intention to say so was presumably why he was being fired. Prosecutors, meanwhile, found a memo addressed to John Ehrlichman describing in detail the plans to burglarize the office of the whistleblower, Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist. July 1973, Steve Englehart moves to Engel, to California. I had to figure out how to do this while maintaining my schedule. The answer was plotting the beginning of the Cap versus the government story and writing the opening half of it. He got an old friend, Mike Friedrich, to provide script over his story. We all know how 
familiar we are with script over stories. If you don't have the idea, he conceived of this concept. And what Mike Friedrich did was provide the dialogue based on his uh, direction as to what the story was. This isn't the first time other guys ha are scripting over Steve's stories throughout as his schedule gets more and more uh, busy. So in August of 19, uh, in, in August, pressure was building on President Richard Nixon to give up the tapes and he thrived on resisting pressure, figuring he could outstare and outlast everyone. So uh, he said by issue cap 171, Steve Englehart said, Mike Friedrich and I really got this co-author thing down, me providing the stories, he providing the scripts. Uh, he moved to California and started his new life. <clears throat> by September of 1973, the pressure on President Nixon to give up the tapes had become unbearable. He continued to stonewall. The country was hanging on every day's news. He says, by October, I had, because his move was complete, Steve Englehart, the writer of Captain America, went back to full-time scripting. And uh, he, he, he talks continually about the development of Watergate. And he said that, uh, you know, November 1973, Nixon declared on television, I'm not a crook. He turned over some of the tapes, not all of them. Uh, you know, the impeachment proceedings were beginning in May of 1974. All along, he is writing his uh, Captain America versus the U.S. government. This is the first part of a storyline that would be called the Secret Empire. The bottom line is Captain America is battling against a group of, and I mean, these guys are in hoods. I mean, if, if this is a reflection kind of of what's going on today, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's really obvious and right out there. I mean, the, the, the secret empire was a bunch of hooded guys who were secretly manipulating and, uh, and, and, and as Steve Englehart talks about it, he wanted to reveal the machinations of an intended consequence within America, uh, and finding out that its president was indeed a crook. Uh, <clears throat> since the president was not disposed to admit that he was actually a crook, the country had been consumed by an epic cat and mouse game. It was Game of Thrones in real time. He said, uh, while everyone was focused on Watergate, how could Captain America ignore it? My answer again, rolling the dice, was that he could not, and that Cap would need his own version of it. So was born the Secret Empire Saga, the original Cap versus the U.S. government, which ended with an unidentified some an unidentified someone blowing someone with access to the Oval Office, having his mask snatched away by Captain America, and then blowing his brains out before Cap could stop him. Um, so, in 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 this story in the Secret Empire, there is a government official who runs away from Cap as the Secret Empire story and I'm not here to cover the entire secret empire story and the machinations of that secret empire story but again cap is getting deeply political uh it it run it, it ran for a good long while as cap eventually uncovered again your hooded bad guys hooded bad guys so again this isn't this isn't stuff that's going on now this is the stuff that is going on in 1974's Captain America comics Okay, and 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 so Cap is, uh, you know, gives up, gives up being Captain America as a result of this um, em secret empire being tied to the White House and being tied to the uh, 
all of the manipulations, you know, uh, that had been going on throughout this 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 secret empire saga. I mean, again, it, the the final battle is on the front lawn of the of the White House. The White House is behind Cap, and the hooded uh, <laughs> the hooded figure runs, and and uh, his name is Number One. And Cap says, number one is making a break for it. Because basically the, they've, they've, they've defeated the secret empire and their, you know, corrupt plants. And uh, and and it involves the X-Men and mutants. They the, the original lineup, not the reborn lineup. The, uh, the, the head guy sat on a throne. Number one sat on a throne in in uh, in in Captain America. Uh, he, he, he he repeatedly, the hooded guy. In, in these Captain America issues says, I represent the secret empire, okay? So very, I mean, very bad looking guy. Captain America 173, titled The Sins of the Secret Empire. The entire secret empire story that Steve Englehart has been writing is coming to a head, okay? In 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 the middle of, of Cap 173, there's a figure standing in the door that says, I represent the secret empire. I'll be brief. I'm going to offer you $10,000 for one night's work. Five thousand now, five upon 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 completion. This um, black man, who he has come to the door of, that the secret says, uh, "What are you talking about? Who are you?" Questions are dangerous. They invite answers. Ask only if you need the money and the steady work. Then know this: the Brand Corporation has an electro gyro. We wish it to be stolen, but are unable to do it ourselves, since there is risk of capture and exposure, and under no circumstances must the American people learn of our existence. But if you attempt this for us and succeed, you will be well rewarded. So they bribe them, but it's 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 a setup. He's bribed the wrong guy. They're undercover, and uh, so then in Cap One Seventy Four, with the head of the Secret Empire Number One on the screen saying, "Crush him, destroy him," and there's a giant um, armored figure trying to kill Cap and uh, and and Falcon. Uh, the Secret Empire gathers. And a guy comes in and says, Salam, the secret empire. And he says, Salam, number 13, have you served? How have you served the secret empire? I have served, number one. I bring to you the Electron Gyro and the two recruits. And he says, nothing. And, and number one, sitting on a golden throne, says nothing will keep us from our goal. Again, all of them are in black. They're actually very, they're, they're, they're heavily black shading, but the color is purple. The number one stands up and says, America is reeling from continuous body blows. First, the toppling of its greatest symbol. Next, the fortuitous Watergate scandal. And if only we'd known that was coming, how much simpler it would make all of this. The committee to regain America's principles, an impressive but neatly meaningless name at that, has been swamped with support. The public is anxious, even grateful in its desire for a new untarnished hero, which will be our very own Moonstone. And when the secret empire strikes and Moonstone plays the part that we wish, but enough, he says. These new men must settle in. Take them to our quarters. And so, again, this is the final meeting of the secret empire before their terrible, you know, the, the, their terrible uh, plans are afoot. Well, this continues into the next issue. It spills onto the lawn of the, of the White House. The cover of Captain America 175 is Cap battling through a character named Moonstone and, 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 the, and the secret empire saying, Star-Spangled Dog, You've smashed the secret empire, pulverized Moonstone, but you won't face the deadliest menace of them all. So Cap 
defeats the secret empire on the lawn of the White House. You can hear me spinning these pages. He follows number one. He says, look, I mentioned this a minute ago. Number one is escaping. He makes a break for it. And he says, these guys don't know when to quit. And it's got number one running into the White House. Cap says, he's heading straight into the White House. The race down the shadowed corridors is swift and short. And then here in the Oval Office, the head guy, number one of the, of the secret empire, is tackled from behind by Cap. End of the line, mister, Cap says. And Cap is pulling off the, 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 the cowl. I mean, again, if these were white, they'd be KKK, but they're purple and black. Let's look, let's look underneath your cowl. Let's have a look underneath your cowl before. And then Cap's face is ashen. His expression, good Lord, you, but, but you, you're, and we don't see the guy's face. You just see his arms and shoulders and his knee is up as he's kind of, kind of pushing himself away from Cap who's standing over him befuddled. Exactly. But high political office wasn't enough to satisfy me. My power was still too constrained by legalities. I gambled on a coup to gain me the power I craved. And it appears my gamble has finally failed. I'm cashing my chips. He grabs a gun and he blows his head off in front of Cap. No, don't. Cap walks out of the Oval Office, waves everyone away from himself. And it says, uh, the man is crushed inside like millions of other Americans, each in his own way. He has seen his trust mocked. And uh, come back next issue for Captain America No More. So because Steve Englehart decided to engage in a storyline which finds Cap mired in a Watergate-type scandal, uh, which then they give you the origin of Captain America, and at the end of the next issue, Cap decides, I can't do this anymore. I'm... I'm... Uh, Captain America must die. And he gives up being Captain America. He walks away from the Captain America identity and gives it up. But, you know, and there's billboards on the next issue as Falcon fights alone. Where is Captain America? And, and of course, there is a kid, like I said, who picks up the, who picks the costume out of the trash and decides... I'll be the new Captain America. And he's completely, you know, unprepared to go into battle. And Falcon follows him when Cap puts on his new costume. It's a full-page splash. It, it, it looks like Sal Buscema inked by John Romita. The page where he does, Steve has drawn, because we've established he's an artist early on in the John Byrne episodes. He's actually drawing comic books. Uh, he's like, Steve says, I'm just kidding myself. Uh, if I hadn't liked the basic cut of the cap suit, I had over a decade to change it, but I didn't. This is a design I want, much different than the old one. He shows him sewing and cutting with scissors as he fashions his nomad co co uh, costume. He goes, I'm still pretty different from what I was. I'll need a name that reflects it. Since I'm getting away from the red, white, and blue, I've already picked this all-weather fabric in somber tones. The name will be something dark, mysterious. This is Steve Rogers talking to himself. I hope a bat doesn't fly into my window. Nod to Batman, or I'll be in big trouble. I need something that means adventurer. Something like Daredevil. Maybe the privateer, the swashbuckler. Nope, not right. Everybody call me swash for short. The freebooter. That has kind of a ring to it. No, that sounds like a pirate. Maybe I should change Captain America to Captain Blood, he says, as he continues to fashion this, this outfit. I think I've been cooped up in this room too long. It's time to pick up my boots and gloves. He says, uh, he goes and he sees these buccaneer boots 
he uh, paints them blue. And then he goes, speaking of classy, you know the one thing I always wanted? I wanted a cape. Why not? Guys with capes look great. And although I'm not into striking terror into anyone's heart, the job calls for some style. Yes, a cape. That does it. I'm all set to go. This is the birth of, boom, full page splash, Nomad. And that's how the issue ends. Or that that's how the chapter of, of that ends. And he goes into battle and he takes on the Serpent Crown, the Serpent Society. And uh, and then that sets up the next issue where, as I said, I, in, I met him for the first time when Namor and he team up. He still has all Cap's powers. Uh, the next issue, he takes down the Serpent Squad, battles Viper and, uh, and and all of the different, and Eel and all the different characters that we're currently making up. The, the, the suicide, um, the, not the suicide, the, uh, the serpent crown, cobra, eel, viper, great action-packed stuff, great stuff. I loved Nomad, but the kid in the Captain America costume is confronted by Falcon, who's like, dude, you, 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 need, you need a partner. You can't do this alone. I, I admire what you're doing. Now, Red Skull gets involved, and so Nomad is now involved in a plot where Red Skull believes that the Captain America, the kid wearing the Captain America suit, is actually Captain America. Uh, uh, I'll let you, if you're interested, read this and find that fate and find out how this all goes down. Uh, needless to say, Captain America in the issue called Caps Back, uh, you know, gets back, gets back into it. This was a very exciting three-year stretch. Again, he had to move aside because Jack King Kirby was coming back to Marvel after seven years and, uh, after six, seven years. And they had to give give him give him back, uh, you know, give back the sales. But what Steve Steve Englehart set out to do, he had um, absolutely brought the sales numbers um, to an all new an all new uh, you know place in regards to uh, he he had he had brought he had brought the sales numbers, you know, to a great. Uh, restored them, made people uh, pay attention to this book for the first time in forever. And the sales bore out. Cap rocketed up the charts. And, uh, you know, clearly, Roy Thomas said, if we don't like you and you don't do your job and you don't turn the sales around, we're going to fire you. But by embracing, I mean, Cap watches the President of the United States. Again, it's you don't see his face, but he says, but you hold the highest office. And, and he's like, even holding the Ohio's office, it wasn't enough. So, I mean, uh, it, it's very impl implied that the President of the United States is the big bad that's pushing the entire agenda. And he shoots himself in the head in front of Captain America in the Oval Office, which for 1974, 1975 is a big deal. Th that, that is a big deal. Does it have all the bloodletting that we would have when we would depict it in modern day? No, it did not. But, uh, you know, he, uh, he did the job that he had asked. His sales had come down, had come around. They bounced back. He, he was good enough to keep the book from going to a bi-monthly schedule, good enough to keep the book from being, uh, from, from being, uh, you know, canceled. And he wrote his own ticket and the sales turned around. Cap became a big it's a big giant success. Everybody rallied around this storyline, which was based, which which was completely mired in um, 
in in politics. What I did not mention, and I'll do that right now, I'll get to that. I told you that he had served and that he talked about when he served and that he wanted to address when he served and, and how it affected him. And I need to share with you guys. Uh, he says that when he was writing Captain America, he goes, I'm going to give you some personal history. When I graduated college, I went into the army. This is Steve Englehart, this writer who made this incredible turnaround on Cap. That's what most men were doing. What I learned there from people who had seen war firsthand, it convinced me that it was nothing that I could participate in. I applied for conscientious objector status. And after 16 months, I was granted my honorable discharge. Um, you may agree or disagree with Steve Englehart's politics. This is where, this is the path that he went down. He says, about a year later, I was writing Cap and it felt incumbent upon me to introduce, introduce a conscientious, conscientious objector point of view into the book. I could provide that voice. I felt it incumbent upon me to give the voice to other points of view as well, primarily through the war-shaped vision of Peggy Carter. The result was a good character read topped off by the Falcon getting much of the spotlight for this period. Everyone in the book was important. We'd left the era of Captain America, dot, 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 and background far behind. Everyone was shining. And, uh, you know, the, the really, the, the work that he had done uh, in transforming this book, all very politically based, from the conscientious objector status where Cap would question so much of what was going on around him, the 1950s doppelganger Cap, to um, coming from the, from the 50s commie smasher, where he was really battling Russian influences, to then in interwoving this very long plot over multiple issues of the secret empire, which was ultimately run by the president of the United States, who kills himself in front of Cap, uh, which results in him giving up the Captain America mantle and uh, walking forward in as this character called Nomad, who I totally dug. All the other nomads, there, there, there's a bike riding nomad with long hair. That's not my nomad. My nomad, the people of my era, we love this nomad, this identity where Cap went off. He made he made his own costume. You know, he, he forged his own, but he's a total action hero. Every one of these issues is jam-packed with action. Seeing Nomad single-handedly kick, you know, Cobra and Eel and Viper and, and all of the Serpent Crown, uh, the Serpent Society. Uh, very exciting. Watching him go toe-to-toe with uh with submariner watching him then do round two with the serpent society then you know team up with falcon to bring red skull to justice and you know uh uh get involved in the fate of this brave kid who decided i'll put on the costume i'll use the shield um really appealing to young readers i was all caught up in how over his head this young captain america was but he doesn't put on that suit unless cap throws it away and says i can't be this anymore i don't rep i don't represent america's ideals what i saw in the secret empire and the president of the united states using the the highest office in 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 the land to to twist and to uh and to manipulate i just i can't do this anymore so he needed to go on his journey of self-discovery and it was great and i wanted to give you so much of how steve Englehart evaluated what he was given i love the most roy thomas saying if you don't get the job done we're going to fire you because Again, in his own words, and he knew this. All these guys hung out. They went to the offices. They went to to the bars afterwards. They went to you know dinner. They were obsessed with comic books, and they were all coming from New York City. Again, it's not until he has established a very successful run uh, on on Cap that he moves to California. Um, after two years on the book, but he did it. He turned it around. He used his 
uh, influence, the influences that were that were inspiring him, the politics of the day, the really questioning of how Captain America fit in the war-torn political, you know, climate, uh, post-Vietnam, pre-Watergate, then all through Watergate era of America, of the United States. And again, he turned around, it became a huge success and uh, turned the fortunes of Captain America around. Again, uh, Captain America finds himself very often in, in a situation where he has to... Uh, Kind of justify his existence and and find a new reason to 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 sell comics again because again the 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 the, the I again was was part of the same uh, the same I was part of the same uh, situation when they came to me and asked me if I could make Captain America popular exciting accessible and and I was I was so happy to do it because he's such he really is such an amazing. Uh, just an amazing character, and when you get someone who is totally passionate on him, you know, it, it, and 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 th- that is likely to connect. Um, and I'm just really, uh, uh, really fortunate uh, in on, on so many so many uh, ways to uh, you know to 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 have been a part of the cap history. And so I wanted to bring this to you when politics really worked out for Marvel, something that is like normally you shouldn't do, but man, did politics work out in this way? Uh, (laughs) This is the time where we kind of wrap it up. I hope this was a bit of a history lesson today. I I think some of you maybe weren't buying comics in 74, 75. I took you all the way back, but this was a thrilling time. And again, Steve Englehart does 36 odd issues where he took the reins took cap shot him like a rocket into a new sales stratosphere got everybody talking because i mean what gets more people talking than a political like first cap versus cap hey 1950s cap doppelganger cap now you're now you're engaged now where are we going well i'm gonna put falcon more in the forefront uh i'm gonna i'm gonna take this political story i'm gonna have captain america the book captain america reflect today's you know politics where where the president has got his fingers in some very very bad shit. This is all going to end with the, the the president murdering himself, re- re- revealing to be the, the the guy behind the secret empire with all their you know uh, world dominance, you know, uh, and, and malevolent plans. He's going to kill himself in front of me in the Oval Office. That's where this is all going to be staged. Cap gives up his costume. A kid takes it over. He becomes a new character within the pages of his own book, Nomad. You know just hearing that, that that excites you. If you are looking for an exciting uh, story, this Secret Empire has been reprinted recently. It may be in one of Marvel's epic editions, or possibly I just know that they did go to new trades. They're great stories. They will rivet you. It's a time where politics paid off for Marvel Comics. Big time. Big time. Ripped from the headlines. Uh, uh, stories. Villains. Motivations. Poured right into the pages of Captain America and created for very exciting stories for the kids of that era. Stories that are still as memorable and as resonant to me today as they were then. So, little bit of of jamming all the history together today and really examining when politics played paid off huge for Marvel. It was a it was a winning gamble. Steve Englehart, again one of my favorite writers, um, just 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 created a, a, a really great adventure. Uh, I went back 
as soon as I could and discovered back issues and, and the preservation of so many back issues in comic stores and got those back issues. They were very affordable back then. And like I said, all of these have been reprinted in uh, Marvel's Marvel Masterworks, Omnibuses, and Trades, so they should all be accessible to you. You can buy them digitally if you want to uh, enjoy those. Very exciting time period. Again, it was very important for me. There was so much. I mean, literally, what I read to you from Steve Englehart was about a 10, 11-page excerpt. And I just gave you kind of like the highlights, skipping over all of the, because he did like a breakdown of every single issue. I just wanted to get, give to you the broad strokes of how he approached it and how things were working out during that period, what the conditions like were when he, uh, you know, decided to take over the book. And then he handed it off to Jack Kirby, the guy who created Captain America, right in time for our nation's bicentennial, which I'll never be able to communicate. It's a really, you had to be there, how successful the the, the bicentennial um had been. Uh, so here's the deal. At the end of every episode, I give you the, uh, the, the, uh, the reviews that you guys leave for us. And I'm so thankful that you guys leave these amazing reviews and ratings and we need them. Your word of mouth, your written reviews, um, matter. They help position us on the platform. I appreciate them so much today, uh, is from Bobby Hewitt. My new, my newfound fix. Five stars, like a bowl of classic sugary cereal on a Saturday morning. Every bit of this show is so good. I am loving everything from Rob's knowledge and unique perspective of the comic book industry to the trip down memory lane for all things comic book, movies, TV shows, and more. Man, it couldn't get more simple than that. I appreciate you so very much, Mr. Bobby Hewitt. Thank you for giving us that profound uh, and 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 uh, and very passionate. Um, review. We need them. We need your guys' reviews. Thank you for getting out there, sharing the good words, spreading the word about the show. We jammed it all together. Boba Fett, Captain America, politics, the secret empire, doppelgangers. I had such a good time with you guys today. I am all over social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter, I'm at Robert Liefeld. Full name on Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. I read all of your comments, your DMs. I have a blue check next to, my name, next to my name, which knows you are interacting with the real guy, not an imposter. And there are several imposters. Don't don't, don't make the mistake going down that road. The blue check is a verification. Um, I love hearing from you guys on Twitter, on Instagram, all, all over Facebook. This episode, this, this podcast has a page on Facebook. Observations with Rob Liefeld has a page. Look for it on Facebook. Like it. Leave comments. I read them. I read them all. I respond to you guys. Uh, again, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the DMs, the messages, the mentions. I I check them all out. I am so thankful that you guys are interacting with this show. Thank you for spreading the word. I hope you learned a little of uh, where I stand on all things Star Wars, Boba Fett. Good God, that episode could not have been more expensive. I, I mean, I just can't stop thinking about it. And the excellence of this period of time in Cap's history where they turned it around with really a, a heavy dose of political play. Um, guys, this is the time of the show where you and I pledge to each other. We're going to take care of each other. We're going to uh, really take care of each other, get rest, um, do things we like, eat good food, you know, eat fun food, read comics, watch TV, Go out on dates, enjoy our kids, our families, just just keep it positive. If you need to take a, a day off, you need to kick back, do that. Take your mental health, your emotional state is so very important. Um, I, I'm rooting for you. I am always rooting for you. So we are going to take care of each other. We are going to most definitely stay safe. We're going to gather again together real soon. 
Take care, guys.